Hey everyone, this is Kaden here at Vox today, and I'm with Tiffany, Christina, Aiden, and Sakai. And as a huge group, we just had a discussion about equity in education. And here on this podcast, we're going to dive into some of the issues that Atlanta teens face every day regarding equity in education. So Tiffany, starting with you, what are your opinions on how the government affects equity in education? The education system, when you're looking at it from a small scale, and most of what happens in school is, um, it's like a result of what, it's a result of what's most direct and what's local. So like, I'm from Clayton County, so a couple years ago, um, we lost accreditation of our school system, and a lot of people left, and a lot of teachers left, and we don't have a lot of AP classes. So it, it, it goes to show that the government, you know, it does play a role in education. So, Aiden, what are your thoughts on this issue? Um, the government mandates all those standardized tests, so now teachers don't teach the content, they teach mm-hmm. the test. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hi, my name is Kai, and piggybacking off of that, I want to say that because of that, the students don't truly know what they're, there is more of a memorization. And memorization is one of the lowest levels of learning because you're not fully comprehending what you're being taught. You're just remembering what the answer is to this question. So if you don't actually know, you can't apply it to anything going going forth. And that's like uh, me knowing, say, one plus one. I know the answer is two, but there is, there. why is the answer two? I'm just being told that the answer is two, but I don't know why it's two. I don't know that because I added another one to the one I already had is two. And that's an example of your, you talking about standardized testing and whatnot. <laughs> Okay, so in relation to how the government plays a role, can we talk about how redlining is an issue? If we if we look at how the schools are now, you can look in this certain you can look in your school and see who's all there. You can see the majority race there. And schools more in the northern region, I, you could say they're uh, diversified, but majority of it is Caucasian, you can say, versus the more southern schools that uh you deem poor performing mm-hmm. and in the south they have uh, more minority because that's where everyone is you know all the minorities that's where they tend to be because of it's not that they want to be there it's because they have to be there and uh, we had a, we played a game earlier today and it was about cards about uh, you got cards and essentially you either got a high card or a low card and everyone who had a high card all the low cards are going to them you can see them as opportunities and people in the lower people with the lower cards, you know, they weren't really being talked to, which uh, is an example of how they don't get as many opportunities as others. And you get more opportunities in those schools up there in the north and whatnot, such as, uh, I want to say, Arabian Mountain. That's just, that's the first one that came to mind. <laughs> you know, or Grady, because, you know, they're, they're a prominent school as well. And that, that redlining plays a big part because it's kind of like segregation. It's unintentional segregation. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, not unintentional. It is intentional. Mm-hmm. You know, but we. But nobody wants to speak about it because that's how it is. Things go unspoken. Yeah, and I think that redlining ultimately it, it all of it traces back to government and politics because somebody, you know, like gerrymandering, somebody had to enact those rules and ordinances to change the neighborhoods and the makeup of these schools. So it is, in a sense, it is unintentional segregation in our schools. 
so like earlier we were talking about the housing projects in the 90s and how a lot of um during the olympics a lot of minorities were pushed out into the south side and so as a result like um you have issues like student mobility and like turnover rates of teachers who don't want to stay there who don't have uh, that sort uh, that sort of drive to continue teaching these students who are already like disadvantaged in the first place and I want to bring in an outside source. Uh, this is from Michelle Obama's uh, autobiography, Becoming. She spoke of a teacher there, her second grade teacher, who seemed, who seemed like she didn't have any control over her children, over the children in the classroom. They were unruly. And it seemed like she didn't have the will to teach. She didn't want to teach them. So she told her mother. And her mother, fortunately, took it into her hands and got her to be moved into a, I want to, I want to say gift, I do want to say gifted class. But that's an example of how... Um, how how that affects <laughs> you know because if you when there's low funding when there's uh when you don't have all the resources the teachers are resources in a sense you know and if they're not doing their job that doesn't benefit the child you know i think some good examples of like the issue with like redlining is how like look at north Gwinnett high school look at south Gwinnett high school like there's a huge difference same with north atlanta and south atlanta and so you can just see like the south side's the predominantly black or hispanic school that doesn't have all the resources that it needs called ghetto sometimes and the north side typically is caucasian and has more resources and they're they have a better reputation overall, I think. And sometimes you have to trace back and look at well, why is this happening? Because sometimes the, um, I guess the constituents of um, those neighborhoods, they're intentionally moving so that their kids are going to better schools. And so then sometimes it's like um, some families, maybe they do want to move, but they don't have the resources or they can't afford to live in those neighborhoods. And that that's actually called white flight. Mm-hmm. You know, you have a whole bunch of people like, you have a whole bunch of, I, I want to say uppity, not uppity, but you know, you like Caucasians leaving the area, you know, and they leave the, um, they leave everybody behind who doesn't have the means to leave the area. Mm-hmm. But there are also people, as soon as they get the means to leave the area, they do leave their homes unattended. And that's also gentrification. It's reverse, actually. Gentrification is the reverse of white flight because mm-hmm. it's an influx of uh, others coming into it. So they take care of the homes that are abandoned and whatnot, raising the taxes and property value. And now, you know, it's, it's bad for everyone. Yeah, you can't afford to live there anymore. Exactly. So, as far as the whole redlining issue, we can see, like, as I stated before, like, the example with North Gwinnett and South Gwinnett how diversity plays a role in like the schooling so how do you think that relates? This is Christina here. I think that sadly the redlining it really does contribute to the segregation and not even like institutionalized segregation but just segregation within ourselves based on race because I remember when I was going to middle school like it was predominantly black and Hispanic people. So like whenever I would see people of different races, I would be like, wow, okay, there's a different person here. 
And it's a shame that, you know, we think these things, but they just happen. Yeah, because it shouldn't, a, a person of another race coming into your school shouldn't be a spectacle because, you know, Carver Early College, the school I attend, is predominantly uh, minor, minority, feel minorities. And we actually just got a Caucasian student. And, you know, people are like, wow, who's that? And, you know, and if you look in the neighborhood that Carver's in, the neighborhood has a lot has a lot of uh, Caucasians and other races there, Indians, Asians, but why aren't they coming to Carver if they're in that if they're in the section for Carver? Because they're leaving, because they're traveling, they're taking all, they're uh, going out of their way to not go to Carver, and it shouldn't be that way. And um, not just diversity in terms of race, but also in terms of like uh, class divisions or yeah. um, socioeconomic status. A lot of the times, um, you. Even though you're in different classes, you you may still be interacting with um, people of different races, but you don't really see that interaction with um, amongst people um, of different so, um, socioeconomic status, and sometimes that leads to a divide of um, conversation of understanding, like uh, you know, like some of the things that kids are going through in lower income neighborhoods, you know, um, more affluent neighborhoods don't really experience going back to the point about um carver like at my school it's gonna be opposite like it's predominantly caucasian so when like a black student comes in like normally a black student it's like whoa like who is that like i'm one of like 10 black kids in my whole grade and although i go to a good school and i have good opportunities that's something that's like hard for me because i don't feel at home at my school i don't feel like I don't see a reflection of myself at my school. And also, um, just there's a, like, a diversity in terms of which classes we take. Like some people take AP classes, some people take dual enrollment and honors classes. And I think that um, that wide range of different uh, choices of classes and you know how are you going through high school, that really just um, makes our high school experiences more diverse and different from each other. Do you guys have any thoughts about how the funding for schools plays a role in why some schools are more of better quality than others? I feel as if funding isn't does play a role. As far as first it goes into technology, because there are a lot of schools who don't have the technology they need. Like I know back in middle school, everybody back at uh, I went to Brown Middle School, everyone got their own laptop. And like towards the end of the year, uh, as the new people started coming in, they ended that program because they couldn't afford to do that again. You know, and there is a in in APS. Each school gets the same amount of money. You know, funding is the same. And I know this for a fact. <laughs> and uh, it's it's all about how you spend it, how all about how they spend it. But it isn't, some of that money doesn't go go towards the students, go towards the well-being of the students. And you know, that plays a role. Because if it doesn't go towards the students, where is the money going? That's the actual question. Well, since you mentioned, um, like, each school in APS gets the same amount of funding, I do want to highlight the difference between um, different districts. Like, um, maybe kids in Fulton County, um, maybe their tax rates are adjusted or something like that. 
where they're getting more funding for their um, extracurriculars, maybe their clubs, sports. And I know that has that plays a large role in shaping your high school experience, having those extracurriculars, um, those clubs, um, not just for experience, but also for college applications. A lot of people mm-hmm. look for that. Some kids, well, some schools, they just don't have the means to um, afford it. And so how my school is, is that we receive funding based on how many students we have. So we don't have a lot of students. We only have maybe 90 kids each grade. So we don't get a lot of funding for those extracurriculars or anything. So, um, yeah. So Aiden, it seems like you have something you want to say about this. So share your viewpoints. Well, my school also was got funding based on how many students they had. Mm-hmm. So they didn't really care about the individual students. They just wanted more students so they could get more money. Mm -hmm. So then they were teaching to the masses and the people like the extremes of the really good students and the really bad students weren't getting the help they needed. Do you guys have any thoughts about how religion plays a role as well? Uh, I do think it depends on which school it is because I personally know a lot of people that go to like private religious schools and that can also impact the diversity you know maybe the students don't really have the same spiritual beliefs or faiths as their parents do but they end up going to those schools anyway and they probably feel like outsiders in that department you know when it's institutionalized into the school itself. I think that, like, as far as Christian schools, obviously they worship God, they have Bible class, but someone who's of a different religion, they don't get to practice their religion in that school setting because that's not what the school is practicing and believing. Yeah, and that kind of, it kind of causes a disconnect because it forces you to do something that you don't. Because I have a question about that school. Do they get grades for the Bible classes? Um, I'm not sure. Um, no, my sister yeah, goes to Catholic do. school. Yeah, they do. Uh, so if you're getting graded for something you don't know about or something you don't like, something that just does that does not resonate with you, that's kind of unfair. Because mm-hmm. you know, I myself, I'm atheist. You know, I'm not. I don't really have a main belief, and I don't think that would be fair. Me <laughs> getting the zero because I, I don't know John three sixteen, and I don't know John three sixteen. Now that I think about it. Alright guys, so thank you for listening to our podcast and we're going to be talking about equity and education all semester for Box Investigate, so check out boxatl.org for more and also subscribe to Box ATL on SoundCloud and Apple Music.